The epistle for this Gaudete Sunday is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Brethren, rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your modesty be known to all men. The Lord is nigh. Be nothing solicitous, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your petitions be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the first chapter of the gospel of St. John. At that time, the Jews sent from Jerusalem priests and Levites to John to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny. And he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elias? And he answered, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. They said therefore unto him, Who are you, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What do you say of yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they that were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said to him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elias, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there has stood one in the midst of you whom you do not know, the same as he that shall come after me, who is preferred before me, the latchet of whose shoe I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethania, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. My dear faithful, the Apostle St. Paul is not a big fan, never was a big fan of suggestions. He likes the imperative. He's always issuing commands, a series of commands. Sometimes priests will wish that they had the same power of command as St. Paul. That's especially true for me today. How happy I would be if I could impel you to do the things that St. Paul is commanding the Philippians in this beautiful epistle of today. There are four things which St. Paul does not ask the Philippians to do, but he tells them imperatively that they must do. The four things are, first of all, rejoice. Secondly, be modest, be unassuming. Thirdly, don't worry. And fourthly, be full of the peace of God. These are the four things that it would be so wonderful if I could encourage you to practice. But of these four things, the main one he wants to emphasize is the first. Rejoice. And that's the one I will emphasize as well in the hopes that I can approximate St. Paul's power to command. You have to rejoice. You have to rejoice even always, throughout your entire life. This is not something we often think of as Catholics, that we have a duty to be happy, and not just happy at one time or another through the course of our life. We have to be, always be happy. It's not, it would be good if, but you must rejoice. And then, of course, St. Paul I'm worried that they didn't get the picture. He says, I'm going to repeat myself again. You have to rejoice. 
No doubt this is a command with which we would be happy to comply. Who would not want to be in a state of joy at all times? But those of us who have gotten past our childhood know that this is not an easy task. We realize that joy is, in this life, a difficult thing to achieve and an even more difficult thing to continue over a longer period of time. And the thing is, we all have our own opinion about how to go about it, how to be in a state of joy. But if we are to be obedient to St. Paul, and it, it seems it would be good for us at least to make an attempt to, to listen to St. Paul and try to follow through what he's telling us to do, since he's so insistent, we must first understand our target. What does it mean to be in a state of joy? Where does joy come from? St. Thomas Aquinas, when he explains, when he has this question on joy in the Summa, he explains that joy is quite simply the fruit of love. Joy is an effect of love, something that is produced by love. You are in a state of joy when you are in the presence of something you love, or even more perfectly, when you are aware that someone you love is happy. You receive joy, or joy is produced in you when you are in the presence of something you love, or when you are aware that someone you love is happy. This is where joy comes from. It's a product of love. And as I say, I think joy is something that we're everyone in this world is after. Absolutely everyone in this life, all mankind participates in the race for joy. Everyone is pursuing happiness, but we go about it in different ways according to what we love and how we love it. We're, we're looking for different things to produce that sensation of joy in us. What type of love, we may ask, enables you to rejoice always? What kind of love do you need to have to where you can expect that you will be able to have that continuous joy, not a momentary joy, not a joy of a few uh, instants that comes and goes, but a constant, steady joy that continues with you through the entirety of your life. As you know, in today's world, it's taken for granted that the most important love from which you're to produce joy is not the love of the Lord, but is the love of self. Each individual, we are told, is of a great dignity and is possessed of supreme rights such that it belongs. It's the right of each person to have all their desires satisfied and that when they have their desires satisfied then, yes, they will be in a pleasurable state. They will be in a constant state of joy. Joy, the world seems to tell us, comes from getting what you want. The only desires that seem to count in that frame of mind are these three. First of all, the desires of sense pleasure. Secondly, the joy of being esteemed for who you are. This is what I am. You have to admire that. And then thirdly, the joy that comes from avoiding pain and sufferings. These three things are supposed to give joy to the world. You are to gratify your desires for food and drink. When you are hungry, eat. When you are thirsty, you are to drink. When you are tired, sleep. And when you have any 
carnal or sexual desire, then you are to gratify it. It's your right, we are told. This is the first step the world claims to being joyful. And the next thing is you have to be esteemed. You have to be admired by everybody. You have to be liked that insofar as you increase the degree to which you are liked by others, you will be happy. You have to get people to love you for who you are. You promote yourself. You seek attention from others. And when people notice you because of what you're wearing or because of what's going on in your life and you put it on your Facebook page, you put it on your Twitter account and you have 100 likes or 2,000 likes or however many likes because you've done something clever, then you will become more joyful. And then lastly, you have to avoid pain and suffering as far as possible. And here I mean especially not so much the bodily pain, but the pain of self-denial, the pain that comes from telling no to ourselves in given situations. The world sort of proclaims to us that we must not refuse ourselves anything. You must not force yourself to do things that you do not want to do. And if suffering kind of forces itself upon you, it jumps upon you in this life, then you have to get rid of it as quickly as possible. You have to throw it off you as you would throw a snake jumping onto you. Um, you can use painkillers or, or drugs or alcohol. You can go into denial. You can immerse yourself in some sort of frenzy of activity in order to get yourself to forget the pain until it finally goes away. This is sort of the, the formula that is given to us for perpetual joy by the world. Pursue the love of self through sense pleasure, through human consolations, and through the avoidance of pain. And then you will be in a state of continual happiness. You will always be joyful. And because this is the belief of the world, this is the belief of the materialistic world that we live in, people really strive hard today to provide as many occasions for people to um, access this kind of activity, these kinds of behaviors. They, they want to bring joy to the world, and so they strive to multiply sense pleasure. They strive to, to multiply tolerance and affirmation that you're, you're liked for what you do, no matter what you do. And then they strive to make ease and comfort as accessible as possible in the belief that this is the secret for providing happiness to the world around us. And we have to ask ourselves seriously if these things are the secret of joy. Does happiness really come from getting what you want? Is a consumer society able to induce a high level of happiness in the population? Is the world's formula for joy successful? Well, people today are given that easy means to get whatever they want. We have to say they're successful in providing these means for accomplishing that joy that they are promising, but the end result is not what they expected. If love of self was the right formula for joy, then we would expect the happiness level of our modern 21st century secular democracies to be extremely high. But that is just not the case. The world's formula for joy is just not working. In the end, this love of self, and what, what really we, what we need to clarify, what we're talking about is the love of our lower self, not our higher self, but the love of the lower self, 
the love of the passions, the love of the body, the love of just the, the raw impulses of our nature, ultimately leads to a hatred of self, a very deep hatred of self. It doesn't lead to joy and satisfaction with our life, but it leads to a very deep satisfaction, not just with our lives, but with our very selves. Here's how um, the famous British convert, Malcolm Muggeridge, this is how he expresses it. In great wealth, great poverty. In health, sickness. In numbers, deception. Gorging, left hungry. Sedated, left restless. Telling all, hiding all. In flesh united, forever separate. So we press on through the valley of abundance that leads to the wasteland of satiety, passing through the gardens of fantasy, seeking happiness ever more ardently and finding despair ever more surely. When you get everything you want, you've got all your stuff. Turns out you're not that happy. In fact, you're very dissatisfied. That's on the level of material things and sense pleasures. What about tolerance and affirmation, all the likes that we receive online, or all of this coddling that modern society tries to provide to people to make them happy and make them sort of feel self-affirmed? Well, there was a study done a few years ago sort of tracking um, the impact of Facebook on people. Here's what this study said, one of the things it said says, we text messaged people five times per day for two weeks to examine how Facebook use influences the two components of subjective well-being, how people feel moment to moment, and how satisfied they are with their lives. Our results indicate that Facebook use predicts negative shifts on both of these variables over time. The more people use Facebook at one time point, the worse they felt the next time we text message them. The more they use Facebook over two weeks, the more their life satisfaction levels declined over time. So the online culture of self-affirmation turns out does not produce joy in people. It's not a source of continual happiness for people. It's rather a source of increasing sadness to the degree that people are looking for joy from that online affirmation, they are dissatisfied with their lives. But overall, the modern ideas about becoming happy seem most clear to be a failure by the most telling metric of all. If you really want to know if the formula for happiness provided by our world today is successful, what we need to look at is the rates of suicide. The number of people out there who are so dissatisfied with their lives, they've reached such a degree of self-hatred that they even take their lives. And the news is not good. Suicide rates in the United States have increased over 25% in the past 20 years. And yearly, we have more people who die by suicide. And these are just the reported suicides. These are just the ones that go in the books. There's probably many other suicides besides the ones reported. But there's more people who die by suicides than who die on the roads. So in 2017, there were 40,231 car fatalities in the United States. And there were 47,000 
173 suicides. So 7,000 more suicides than car fatalities in 2017. In other words, 47,000 people had gone so wrong in their pursuit of happiness, they thought that life itself was not worth living. They had so pursued that love of self that was meant to guarantee them happiness and found it so wanting that they hated themselves to such a degree that they took their own lives. Excessive self-love in the end makes for excessive self-hate. This is why our Lord warns us in the Gospel of Luke. Take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be overburdened with self-indulgence. Take heed to yourself. Self-indulgence is a huge burden on your heart. It should be clear to us that true joy is not to be found in this love of our lower self, is not to be found in loving pleasure, is not to be found in getting what we want, having our will satisfied, is not to be found in avoiding troubles, avoiding pain and suffering in this life. All these things may give some joy, but that is only a joy that is present and then passes away very quickly. It only fills us to then make us empty. Empty into proportion to the degree that it filled us so rapidly. And let me emphasize that if you find yourself habitually unjoyful, it's very likely that you take yourself too seriously and perhaps far too seriously. Perhaps the things that concern you seem so important to you your desires, your own will, what you want seems so important to you that lacking them, you are habitually unjoyful. So you need to take yourself less seriously. Rejoice in the Lord, says St. Paul. Not rejoice in yourself. The kingdom of God, says St. Paul in his epistle to the Romans, is not meat and drink but joy in the Holy Ghost. Only those who love their source, God, more than themselves, ultimately are able to find happiness and joy in this life and the next. Recall that joy comes from being in the presence of the one you love and being glad at the loved one's happiness. Well, if you love God, if you love your faith, you should always be joyful. Because God is always God. Think of how much you have with your Catholic faith, the fact that you possess God. Think how wrong it is to be in a habitual state of unjoyfulness based on the blessings that you have. Away, we could say, with the miserable, sad, frumpy, cranky, doomsdaying traditional Catholics, it's below us to be continually sorrowful, unjoyful, sad. God is present to those who love him. And if they love him, then they cannot avoid being joyful on a regular basis. See, Thomas says, from the very fact that God is loved, he is in those who love him by his most excellent effect, that is grace. What we are supposed to do in order to achieve a lasting joy is we're supposed to rejoice in the divine good that we participate in. 
We're supposed to be aware that we're temples of God and we so we possess the highest good, even though we may not possess many lesser goods in this life. Yet as long as we possess that highest good, God himself, the source of reality, the source of all goodness, it doesn't matter what we don't have besides that. Our love of the highest good is supposed to produce a joy that outweighs any sadness we may experience from the loss of a lower good. That is what's supposed to happen in our life through the practice of our Catholic faith. And this is St. Paul's whole point. He tells you to rejoice in the Lord. And he says that you are to rejoice always because the Lord is nigh. He is close. He's in your hearts. He's on our altars. He's with us. So, first of all, you start by loving God. Secondly, you realize that you're always in the presence of God, or you have God dwelling in your souls. And thirdly, you rejoice. You say to yourself, I have absolutely everything I need to be happy. It's only then, after saying this, that St. Paul can tell you not to worry. And he does say that. He says, don't be anxious. Why are you worrying? Just entrust your cares to God. Just tell God about your troubles. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Pray to God. Let your troubles be known to God. And if this is done, then the peace, he says, as a result, the effect, the peace of God will invade your soul and will keep your hearts and minds fixed in our Lord. God sees us. God is with us. God's taking care of everything. And yet, we can be dissatisfied. We can be so sad. We somehow don't appreciate what we have. And that's why we're always looking for something to give us happiness when we don't have happiness. If we're able to love God to such a degree that we're happy when he's happy, then we'll always be happy. God cannot be sad. Happiness, in the end, is not getting what you want it's wanting what you have, and you have very much in your Catholic faith. Regardless of the evils of the world, regardless of the crisis in the church, God has given you much, much more than you deserve, and he's given you much, much more than you need in order to be happy and satisfied with the life that you have. And it's your duty, says St. Paul, to rejoice to be happy with the goods, the many goods that God has given you. Through your Catholic faith, you have God himself in such a way that you cannot lose him except through your own fault. You always possess him and so should always rejoice. So my dear faithful, self-love is a path to misery and despair. Love of God is the path to joy and happiness and great love of God is the path to constant joy, one that is meant to be sealed definitively in heaven. If you love God, you're going to be happy now, and you're going to be happy always. Learn from St. Paul today that you're meant to be joyful, that you have a duty to be joyful. It's imperative. Your love of God is supposed to give you a measure of deep and stable happiness in your life. Meanwhile, if you're unhappy, it's because your love of God is weak and your love of self is strong. 
The sorrow which is a vice, says St. Thomas, is caused by inordinate self-love, and this is not a particular vice, but a general source of the vices, self-love. On the other hand, love of God is accounted a particular virtue, namely charity, to which joy must be referred as its proper act. And during Advent especially, I think we should contemplate the joyful mysteries and see in the joyful mysteries the sorrows that are there. They're called joyful, and yet they're full of sorrows. And we have to ask ourselves, how can they be joyful when, for instance, you have things like Our Lady having to go to Bethlehem when she's nine months pregnant on on short notice, them being refused from the end, them having to flee to Egypt, um, our Lord being lost in the temple. All these sorrows, and yet they're called joyful mysteries because the Lord was nigh, because they possessed, the Holy Family possessed our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Our Lady and St. Joseph loved our Lord, they possessed our Lord They were in a state of joy, and we can say that Our Lady rejoiced always. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.